0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Good morning, welcome to the Vince Coakley radio program. It is Monday, the start of another broadcast week called All Is Well in Your World. A lot of things to talk about today, including some breaking news regarding the president's son. We will delve into that as Congress takes some aggressive action toward Hunter Biden. Ongoing concerns that the East War, as bad as it is now with thousands dead, could actually get worse. As U.S., the U.S., and Iran's allies inching closer to all-out war. Is there a way to stop this? A lot of conversation over the weekend. As you know, I'm a big aviation person. And, man, can you believe that Alaskan Airlines plane with that plug door came out right in the middle of the flight? Sucked a kid's shirt off. This was absolutely horrifying. And we have some new information about some history with this particular plane. We're going to talk about that during the course of the broadcast today. Also, we will delve into some information on COVID. It's kind of a mixed bag. You've heard about this new variant. But there's a positive spin to this variant. And we will tell you what that is during the course of the broadcast today. And we'll talk Carolina Panthers. Mercifully, it is over. My goodness. What a horrible, crappy season. Just absolutely abysmal. I'm trying to sound like Simon Cowell. And he'd have some performance, which was just absolutely terrible, on American Idol. Just dreadful. <laughs> that can certainly be said. And we have some big developments with Carolina Panthers. Not a loss of the owner, but the front office. A little bit of a shakeup taking place there. And we'll just share some of the social media perspectives. I think there's a pretty good chance... You're going to embrace the comments from some of these folks who I will quote on social media. Wow, people are without mercy in dealing with this team with hopes that this can't get any worse. How much worse could you possibly be? But I want to begin with a feel-good story. It's Monday. Come on. It's back into the drudgery of work for many people. And there's a lot of very heavy stuff to delve into. How about a light story to start things off? You know, one of my favorite bumper stickers, the more people I meet, the more I love my dog. You ever seen that one? I love that bumper sticker. And which president was it? There was one president who actually said, If you're looking for a friend in Washington, get a dog. It's awesome. The loyalty of dogs, they are just wonderful. And when you find one that's a good fit, like my dog, Latte, I got Latte when, way back in 2000, was it 11 or 12? I think it was 2012. So she is a senior citizen now. 12 years old that's what 84 so she is showing the years and if you love your dog you certainly can appreciate this particular story about how special a new year is this new year 2024 is for an Arizona dog owner her beloved pet, Mailey, was visiting family in Texas over the Thanksgiving holiday when the rescue dog went missing. But after weeks of searching, Maley was spotted in an RV park in Texas. Maley's owner, Jonna Hayes, said, Mailey knew me immediately and ran to me. Hayes says dozens of strangers came together to help find Maley. She said, usually, several people were out driving their cars, paying for their gas, all of their own time. For strangers, these people are now our family. On New Year's morning, one of those new family members who spent weeks on the search for Melee found her after getting a tip that Melee was seen hanging out in an RV park. She went to pick up the dog right away and called Hayes and her wife. We could not believe it. Stacy just screamed. I gasped, and we just couldn't believe. They had their hands on her. Hayes says it was a difficult experience to be without a rescue dog, but the experience showed her just how special her hometown community is. Gives me chills just speaking about it. The community has wrapped us up and loved us. Hayes says she's absolutely blessed to know these people. Maley is malnourished and has several mats in her fur, but otherwise doing well. Four-year-old dog rescued from the Arizona desert three years ago when Hayes found her eating rocks before they took her in. But this is a wonderful story. After this dog being missing and a whole community coming together to help find this dog, Not just any dog, but also a dog that was a very important part of this woman's life. So we are very happy for her. I told you there's breaking news developing this morning on the Hunter Biden story. Here's what we have learned just in the past few minutes. House Republicans have released a report recommending Hunter Biden be held in contempt of Congress. As you know, you remember the circus? You remember the circus that we saw some weeks ago when Hunter Biden, he's in Washington, but rather than showing up for private questioning behind closed doors, He has a news conference to basically say, you know, hey, you want to talk to me? We're going to do this publicly. Well, now House Republicans on the Judiciary and Oversight Committees have released a report recommending the president's son, Hunter Biden, be held in contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena to appear for a closed door transcribed interview as part of their impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. The committees also release the resolutions that will be marked up in committee hearings. If the resolutions pass the committees, they will then be allowed to be voted on by the full House. The House can then refer the recommendation to the Justice Department, which would ultimately decide whether the President's son should be criminally charged. How many of you are going to bet the Justice Department is going to participate with this? I'm very skeptical. In their reports, the committee's chairman, James Comer of Kentucky, Jim Jordan of Ohio, outlined their case for holding Hunter Biden in contempt. They said he was presented with a subpoena specifying he is required to appear for a closed door deposition and provided an opportunity to work with them to find a time that would work best with his schedule. But instead, he made no effort to comply with their request. On the day of the deposition, Hunter Biden held a press event in front of the Capitol building but took no questions. Comer and Jordan argue his actions were unlawful and he should be held accountable. The report said Mr. Biden's flagrant defiance of the committee's deposition subpoenas while choosing to appear nearby on the Capitol grounds to read a prepared statement on the same matters is contemptuous and he must be held accountable in his. Unlawful actions. Hunter Biden's legal team, for its part, pushed back on the committee's request to appear behind closed doors, saying their client was only willing to answer questions in a public setting. In letters to the chairman, his legal team contended the Republican led committees would release excerpts of the closed door testimony in small batches that lacked proper context in an effort to damage the president politically. In response to Hunter Biden's offer to testify publicly the republican chairman of the committee said they would provide him that opportunity under the condition he testify behind closed doors first that as you know he has rejected so new development on this and we will continue to follow this to see what happens next in this particular circus still to come in the broadcast we told you about the plane incident that occurred with Alaska Airlines there's breaking news on that story we will talk about that coming up also the concern that this proxy war between the U.S. and Iran could actually escalate
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: We are back on the Vince Coakley radio program. 21 minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock, Still to come on the broadcast, we're going to talk about this new COVID variant, and it's kind of a mixed bag. It's something that apparently spreads very easily and quickly, but it's not as bad as some had feared. We'll tell you the information that is new on this as we continue the broadcast. First, let's talk about what's going on with our Middle East situation. In the last week alone, Israel's killed a senior Hamas militant in an airstrike in Beirut. Hezbollah has struck a sensitive Israeli base with rockets. The United States killed a militia commander in Baghdad. Iran-backed rebels in Yemen, traded fire with the U.S. Navy. Each strike and counterstrike. Increases the risk of the already catastrophic war in Gaza spilling across the region. and the decades-old standoff pitting the U.S. and Israel against Iran and alleged militant groups. Now there are fears that one party could trigger a wider war. If only to avoid appearing weak. Nobody wants to appear weak. As the Associated Press reports, these divisions within each camp... Add another layer of volatility. Hamas, Hamas might have hoped its October 7th attack would drag its allies into a wider war with Israel. Israelis increasingly talk about the need to change the equation in Lebanon. And today, an Israeli airstrike killed an Hezbollah commander, even as Washington aims to contain this conflict. As the intertwined chess games grow even more complicated, the potential for miscalculation rises. Now, Hamas, their version of all of this, the October 7th rampage that triggered the war in Gaza was a purely Palestinian response to decades of Israeli domination. AP is saying there's no evidence Iran, Hezbollah, or other allied groups played a direct role or even knew about it beforehand. But when Israel responded by launching one of the 21st century's most devastating military campaigns in Gaza, a besieged enclave home to 2.3 million Palestinians, the so-called Axis of Resistance, Iran and the militant groups it supports across the region, they faced pressure to respond. That is the concern now. The Palestinian cause has deep resonance across the region, leaving Hamas alone to face Israel's fury would have risked unraveling a military alliance that Iran has been building up since the 1979 Islamic revolution, put it on a collision course with the West. A Lebanese expert on Hezbollah said they don't want war, but at the same time, they don't want to let the Israelis keep striking without retaliation. Something big has to happen without going to war. So the Israelis and Americans are convinced there's no way forward. Of all of Iran's regional proxies, Hezbollah faces the biggest dilemma. If it tolerates Israeli attacks, like the strike in Beirut that killed Hamas's deputy political leader, it risks appearing to be a weak or unreliable ally. But if it triggers a full war, Israel's threatened to wreak major destruction on Lebanon which is already mired in severe economic crisis even Hezbollah's supporters may see that as too heavy a price to pay for a Palestinian ally Hezbollah has carried out strikes along the border nearly every day since the war in Gaza broke out with the apparent aim of tying down some Israeli troops Israel's return fire but each side appears to be carefully calibrating its actions to limit the intensity a Hezbollah barrage of at least 40 rockets fired at an Israeli military base on Saturday sent a message without starting a war, though it may have triggered Monday's strike. This is the volatile situation we find ourselves in right now. The question is, what 80 rockets rather than 40, been a step too far? What if someone had been killed? How many casualties would warrant a full-blown offensive? The grim math provides no clear answers, and in the end, experts say it might not be a single strike that does it. Israel, determined to see tens of thousands of its citizens return to communities near the border with Lebanon, they were evacuated under Hezbollah fire nearly three months ago. And after October 7th, may no longer be able to tolerate an armed Hezbollah presence just on the other side of the frontier. Israeli leaders have repeatedly threatened to use military force if Hezbollah doesn't respect a 2006 ceasefire from the U.N. that ordered the militant group to withdraw from the border. One senior researcher at Israel's Institute for National Security Studies at Tel Aviv says... Neither side wants a war, but the two sides believe it is inevitable. Everybody in Israel thinks it's just a matter of time until we need to change the reality so that people can return to their homes. By the way, we still have two aircraft carrier strike groups in the region. One is returning home, but it's being replaced by other warships. The deployments sending an unmistakable warning to Iran and its allies against widening the conflict. The question is, have they received the message? That is the question. Still to come in the broadcast, as we have these ongoing concerns about a possible widening war, Well, one of the important places where all of this conversation is taking place about strategy and advising the president on what to do would come from the defense secretary. And he has been in the news because of his recent hospitalization that was not reported to people that should have known about it. We're going to talk about that and much more as we continue our Monday broadcast. On the Vince Coakley radio program you know we're really in a time of war even though we're not technically in the war I mean when we're engaging in military activity as we have been over the last couple of months uh, there is a sense in which we're kind of on a war footing and one of the most important places where you need stability And you need some sense of certainty about what's going on is certainly the Defense Department, the head of the Defense Department. Wall Street Journal story. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's hospitalization deepens mystery of his absence. Get a little of this line. His number two at the Pentagon did not learn of his hospital stay until days after he was admitted. I I am sorry. This man needs to be fired, fired, fired. Now, I think I saw a story this morning indicating that Biden was not going to fire. Let me just tell you, if this were a white guy, he would be gone. I guarantee you. I know there are people, why you got to bring race into this? I'll bring race into this because you have a panderer in chief in the White House. And this guy is not going to fire a black guy. In 2024, knowing that he needs black votes, every single solitary black vote he can get for the 2024 election. And I think that's the only reason Lloyd Austin has his job. This man ought to be thrown out on his butt. This is reprehensible. How in the world? Number two person doesn't know about the hospital stay did not learn that his boss was hospitalized January 1st until four days after she'd assumed some of his duties. Deepening the mystery of why Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was hospitalized and why he hid his medical situation from senior defense officials and even President Biden until days after he was admitted. Come on. Come on. Please tell me, in what business could you possibly get away with this and still have a freaking job but here you are defense secretary of the most powerful nation on earth and you're you know you're in the hospital for a few days out of commission and you know nobody knows who should know this is crazy Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathy Hicks who was on scheduled leave in Puerto Rico had already assumed some of Austin's duties that week which happens from time to time. Hicks said secure communications at her location while on vacation as is routine, but she was not informed of the gravity of Austin's hospitalization which included some time in the ICU at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Washington until Thursday. That was about the same time that Jake Sullivan, White House National Security Advisor, was informed and when Sullivan, in turn, told Biden. The next day on Friday, members of Congress who have oversight of the Pentagon were told of Austin's condition and the Pentagon announced it publicly. Now, Austin resumed its responsibilities as Defense Secretary Friday night, remained hospitalized Sunday. He had what officials describe as an elective procedure during scheduled leave on December 22nd, returning home the next day without disclosing what the treatment was, citing privacy concerns. On the evening of January 1st, Austin began experiencing severe pain and was taken to Walter Reed, where he was admitted to the hospital's intensive care unit. By the same time as when Austin was admitted to the hospital on Monday, Austin's chief of staff, Kelly Magsiman, was out sick with the flu, which officials said contributed to the lack of notification to Hicks in the White House. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, C.Q. Brown, was notified of Austin's hospitalization the day after on Tuesday. But as a subordinate advisor, he wouldn't have been bound to notify the White House of Austin's situation. Austin released a statement Saturday evening saying he takes responsibility for the lack of disclosure of his hospitalization, but focused on the media scrutiny, not the broader implications for providing transparency to the White House or Congress. I recognize I could have done a better job ensuring the public was appropriately informed. Do you think? I commit to doing better. But this is important to say this was my medical procedure, and I take full responsibility for my decisions about disclosure. Biden, who spoke with Austin on Saturday, said he maintains full confidence in Austin. But the longer the Pentagon declines to answer the basic questions about his health and why it was all kept a secret, the longer the controversy promises to unfold. On Sunday, the Pentagon said Austin remains hospitalized but has been receiving operational updates and providing guidance to his team. The new statement didn't provide basic information about why he was in the hospital in the first place or why the disclosure was so bungled. Major General Pat Ryder, a Pentagon spokesman, says he has full access to required secure communications capabilities and continues to monitor DOD's day-to-day operations worldwide. It remained unclear when Austin would be released from the military hospital. Members of Congress describing his lack of transparency as unacceptable. Other officials privately expressing deep concern over Austin's judgment at a time when the Pentagon's managing conflicts in Ukraine and Gaza and American troops are under relentless attacks by missiles and drones in Iraq and Syria. No indication Austin's hospitalization put national security at risk. And it didn't hinder operations overseas. The Pentagon Thursday conducted a strike against a militant in Baghdad, killing at least him and an aide. But the authority for that strike was given in advance. I want to know what you think about this. Do you share my question here as to whether Lloyd Austin would have a job if he were a white man? I guess the other part of this Perhaps the only other thing, maybe Joe Biden does not want to come across as cruel, firing a man while he is in the hospital. This is crazy, though. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. Speaking of crazy, we come closer to home to talk about everybody's favorite football team, the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, of course, Mac just absolutely enjoys coming on this program To discuss his favorite team, we'll have that conversation coming up.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Back on the Vince Coakley radio program and still coming to the broadcast, we're going to talk about that horrifying. Journey for people flying an Alaskan Airlines plane last week. This happened on Friday. I mean, imagine you're sitting on the plane and what looks like a door just comes out, just disappears when you're at altitude. You know, (laughs) I mean, this is just crazy stuff. It kind of reminds me, um, I told you I'm a big aviation person. If you ever want to see a really interesting air crash investigation episode, there's one called Hanging by a Thread. There's a situation that happened with Hawaiian Airlines jetliner. I think this was back in the 80s. And had an issue with metal fatigue. And the top... Of the front part of the plane came off I mean you talk about scary this is probably one of the best air crash investigation episodes by the way I I think only one person was killed in that I think it was a flight attendant was sucked out of the plane but everybody else uh, survived I mean you talk about some really great Uh, flying they safely landed that plane and when you see how much of the plane was missing i mean that that's just crazy fortunately nothing this catastrophic with this incident with alaska air we'll talk about the new development this morning and some new information we've learned about previous issues with this plane which further intrigues us about what is the faa doing it's kind of makes you wonder. it really makes you wonder. I mentioned earlier about the issue of COVID. We've got this new coronavirus variant that's now become dominant, but there's actually some good news on this, according to NBC News. it's dominant, but fewer people are being hospitalized this winter than last. Wastewater data compiled by the CDC shows COVID activity at a very high level. The fastest spreading coronavirus variant is called JN1. It now makes up 62%. 62% of COVID cases in the U.S. That's a lot. This is according to data released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Two weeks ago, this variant only made up 39% of the cases. This gives you an idea how rapidly this is expanding. Four weeks ago, it was way down at 21%. Thomas Russo, chief of Infectious Diseases University at Buffalo, Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences, says it's making a fairly precipitous rise. Wastewater data suggests this winter's COVID activity has surpassed last winter's according to preliminary CDC estimates, but the data comes with caveats. It only measures activity among people connected to a municipal sewer system and who are participating in the program. By the CDC's count, this comes out to about 40% of the U.S. population. But hey, I'll take this good news. Now, in recent days, some doctors and scientists have warned that this winter's outbreak appears to be the largest since the original Omicron wave two years ago. You remember the notorious Omicron? (laughs) And this was supposed to be the end of the world. You remember that was... And, hey, we take all of these things seriously without uh, insanity. We are... You know, like so many other things, we try to balance between hysteria and burying our heads in the sand. And I think there's a safe place to do this, to communicate the truth, the facts, without making this sound like the sky is falling, which we know it is not. A CDC spokesperson said it's still too early to make accurate comparisons between J and ones takeover and past surges. But thus far, its projection is similar to BA2, which predominated in March through May of 2022. The original emergence of the first Omicron, November and December 2021, was much more dramatic. COVID hospitalizations have risen since early November. New hospital admissions up 28% in the two-week period, ending December 30th. But they've not kept pace with the rise in infections. Measures of severe disease and hospitalizations are about 30% lower than they were at the same time last year. That's very encouraging news. This basically means each infection is less likely to result in illness that requires medical care. And that's welcoming news for the hospital systems and individuals alike. JN1's dominance suggests it's more transmissible than other strains and is driving new infections. Holiday gatherings also gave it more opportunities to spread. But I very much like the takeaway from this, that this is a situation that is much better than where we found ourselves last year. For that, we can be very, very thankful. (laughs) We'll divide our coverage of the Alaskan Airlines plane that suffered a decompression on Friday. We'll have some other stories on this coming up in the next hour, but I want to begin with a developing story this morning. The NTSB chair, Jennifer Homedy. Gave an update on the investigation last night. She said the cockpit voice recorder was taped over, describing it as a loss for us and for safety. Taped over. (laughs) That's happened on several air crash investigation episodes, too. We've learned that there were uh, voice recorders that were broken, broken that were uh, that had previous flights on them there were some that had record overs like 2 3 generations of recordings so they were completely worthless i don't know how this got taped over but it's gone here's the good news a missing door plug that could be the key to the investigation into what caused it to detach from a plane Mid-flight Friday, it's been found in the backyard of a Portland, Oregon area resident. That's quite a discovery. So, they've got that door plug. This helps to identify what happened and why. We'll talk about this much more and the Panthers coming up next hour. Stay with us. We are, our number two, the Vince Coakley radio program. Thank God it's over. <laughs> I think this is what a lot of people are saying about the Carolina Panthers 2023 season. It is, uh, it's been interesting to say the least. We have this development. This is the latest developments. The Panthers owner, David Tepper, has fired General Manager Scott Fitterer after three seasons at Carolina. So that particular job is up in smoke. And Panthers Wire reports Panthers are the first team since 2008 to be shut out in back-to-back games. Pretty ugly. Not the kind of record that anybody would want to boast about. Here are some random posts from friends of mine on social media. Carolina Panthers equals eight quarters, zero points. Ouch. That's painful. Devarchery posted that. Kevin, thank you, Carolina Panthers, this season for absolutely nothing. Hashtag refund your fans money. And this from Roger. And thank goodness the Panthers season is over. And they've been put out of their misery. <laughs> that is just painful. What say you to all of this, Chris McLean? Mac from Mac and Bone on WFNZ. Pretty brutal.
2: Vince, I'm starting to think I'm not the only one that thinks this team stinks at football based on some of those <laughs>
1: <failures>. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Painful. And
2: that was, oh, that was bad. And I'm sitting here with your guy Bernie, you know, as I'm getting ready to go on. And we're talking about the loss yesterday where they don't score a point, And they literally twice think they have touchdowns, only to have it ruled. There's a fumble on the one at one on one of them by DJ Chark. And the other one, oh by the way, to wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr., who had not been active in like seven weeks, and I think we know why didn't line up correctly so the touchdown didn't count like could there be a more 2023 way to end <laughs> the panther gosh. season than that oh my gosh
1: painful Brutal. absolutely painful so i there's there's really uh now we've reached the end so i think for a lot of people they would look at this and say this is rock bottom would that be an accurate assessment?
2: Man, I hope so. I, I feel like any time I have said in Charlotte sports over on WFNZ about one of our teams, it can't get any worse than this. I feel like I feel like the next week they say, "Hold my beer." Let, let, wait. You haven't seen nothing yet. So I hesitate to use that kind of absolute, but it really does feel that way. I mean, the concerns we have over. Over David Tepper and his meddling and getting the hires wrong you know that he has in the past and then you throw in the way he acted in Jacksonville I mean it just feels like please tell me we start to rise from this you know and in one respect, Vince, I do find myself this morning like a little a little upbeat for a change in that okay you know they they got let go of Scott fitter that had to happen he's a great guy personally I believe but it had to happen. Let's clean slate at Coach NGM. It kind of gives you, you start to throw out names of guys that you hear great things about, and it kind of gets you a little excited. But then you're reminded, hey, this is David Tepper again. He's got to get these right. And then he's got to sign checks, and then he's got to stand out of the way. So it's a lot needs to happen. That offense, I'm sure, I'm sure you could tell from watching events. There's a lot of new players needed, right, to help Bryce Young, the 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 uh, rookie QB, out on the offensive line, and in terms of the receiving core. But at least now we get to start talking about moving forward because it's been apparent for months, right, that this was just that this was horrible, you know.
1: So what's your starting place here? The starting place a new GM.
2: Yeah, I would think I would think it makes sense to do the GM first. And again, we often do things that don't make sense here. So I do want to throw that little caveat in there, but it does make sense to hire the GM and allow the GM to be involved in the coach hiring process. And I, again, I can't sit here with certainty and tell you we're going to do it the way that is conventional or the way that makes sense. I do think it's but I think that's the natural way to do the two positions. Um the 49ers hired their now GM uh John Lynch and their now coach Kyle Shanahan. They're both awesome at their jobs and they have the best team in the NFC this season. They hired them in the same offseason and did the GM about like a week or ten days before the coach. So that seems like the, you know, I, that's one example, but it's a good example because we I think we'd like to model ourselves after that. But that seems kind of like the time frame. I will say this, Vince. One encouraging thing because I know people are listening right now and they're like, "Oh my God, you, you spare me." Tepper's making hires, and this guy's like got a little bit of excitement about it. One thing I will say that's a good sign is he has hired Sportsology, a sports search for a hiring search firm to help him with at least the coaching hiring. I don't know as far as the GM hiring yet, but at least the coaching hiring. At least that's a sign, Vince, of him kind of reaching out and acknowledging, maybe we need to do this differently, maybe I need some outside help. So it's something little, but maybe that's a good sign.
1: So in this, the order, would this be a a GM first and allowing this GM to actually make the choice as to who should be the coach? Or is this something Tepper is going to be micromanaging Uh, again?
2: I know. That's the thing. It's like in an ideal world, I think, Vince, the best thing to do would be to hire someone even at a level above GM like at a VP of football operations type thing. Or, you ah. know, right where that person there's no doubt they run the football operations. And then, you know, heck, if they wanted to have former Panther assistant GM Dan Morgan kind of in the GM role, but he answers to the to the GM, I could be convinced of that for, you know, stability purposes. But the problem is to do something like that, that requires an owner that really is all about putting the guys in place and letting them work. And he just has not shown us the evidence to believe that you know i would like to I, I think it'd be great if the gm was hired and tepper did that and then that person hired the coach uh hired to coach but i think we all know there is no way tepper's <laughs> hands are in that cookie jar so i don't know i just i really hope he changes i really hope he looks and sees the writing on the wall um but we're gonna have to wait and see man we can hope but i again i'm not betting any you know paychecks on hey he's definitely going to change you know I, I wouldn't go that far
1: we've got about a minute left here how overall does this team uh, and david tepper in particular how does he turn this around you heard the social media posts that i that i shared with <laughs> you how in the world do you rally people behind this team after such a horrible season?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, there's not much he can do other than just you know hiring the right people and letting them work, and then they improve the team, right, Vince? Because you, you're reading off all this. Those are people that aren't in a hurry to give you the benefit of the doubt. Oh, it's a new coach. It's a new GM. I'm back in. I mean, they got to prove something over there, and it starts on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they just just the, – the way – And this is why Scott is not here, one of the biggest reasons. That's the support they gave to their rookie quarterback. They trade all that stuff away, right? Draft, D.J. Moore, wide receiver, and then they go out and get a group of receivers and weapons and put a line out there that just, I mean, it it was maybe the worst support system for a quarterback in the league. The coaching staff was supposed to be this special offensive coaching staff. They completely bombed. So the support for Bryce Young, whoever is the next GM, has to nail these moves. You know, they have to.
1: I hear you, and it remains to be seen whether we see this uh, unfold in a way that's going to be, um, uh, you know, be able to rally not only the team but the fans here in the Charlotte area. Uh, so many of these people already have loyalties to other teams and places they've come from. It's time to make a compelling case uh, that this is a team that David Tepper is a guy who's in this to win, and the best way to do that. Is to start this thing, put some people in place who are going to get this thing right and leave them alone. Have I, have I described this accurately? Please, what we need? You
2: described it beautifully. I feel like every person in Charlotte can describe it, except the one that needs to describe. <laughs> you know what I mean? The one that needs to act it out. We'll see. I say fingers crossed, Vince, because there are new people coming in, but don't go out there wagering like the Panthers to win oh, the Super goodness. Bowl in twenty twenty. You know, next season. Don't go doing any of that crazy stuff yet. Though. I uh. know better than that. <laughs>
1: hey mac you've been a uh you've been a good sport having these conversations for many many months and hopefully we'll have some better conversations coming up for the 2024 season
2: anytime you got it vince
1: all right thanks a lot for joining us on the vince coakley radio program still to come we will talk more about that wild ride on the alaska airlines plane with the door that came off I guess you can call it the door that's not really a door. We'll explain that as well. You know, if you're one of those people who is afraid of flying, all you needed to hear was the story from what happened Friday on the Alaska Airlines plane plane. This story has certainly sent chills down a lot of spines over the past few days. And it certainly uh, further magnifies the horror of this experience when you hear some of the stories, which we'll get to in a bit. I told you earlier in the broadcast that missing door plug that detached from the plane, it's been found in an Oregon teacher's backyard. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Identifying the resident who sent two photos of the item to the NTSB only as Bob, a schoolteacher. She said, thank you, Bob. (laughs) We're going to go pick that up and make sure that we begin analyzing it. Two cell phones have also been found. One in a yard, another on the side of the road. This is kind of crazy. I remember hearing about one person saying their cell phone was sucked out of the plane. We told you, unfortunately, the cockpit voice recorder was inadvertently taped over. And that's going to be a big loss. The investigator saying that information is key, not just for the investigation, but for improving aviation safety. The NTSB is calling for expanding the minimum time recorded on the devices from two hours to 25 hours. Such a time span would have saved the cockpit voice data from Friday's accident. How important that is to have that done. Not sure why they haven't done this before now, especially with digital recordings. Uh, You have this capability. The device from Friday night's flight automatically recorded over the pertinent voice data because someone failed to power it down. It starts a fresh recording, wiping out the last one every two hours. The NTSB said the circuit breaker was not pulled. She described chaos and communication issues on board the Boeing 737 MAX 9. As the flight crew reported hearing a loud noise, the cabin rapidly depressurized over the Portland area. The plane's first officer lost her headset in the depressurization. The captain had headset problems. So they turned on a speaker for communication. This was a serious issue. At the same time, the cockpit door opened violently, and a laminated checklist pilots use in an emergency situation, it flew out. (laughs) This is crazy. So the pilots turned to another quick reference guide, a handbook, as a flight attendant took three tries to shut the cockpit door saying the actions of the flight crew were really incredible. It was very violent when the door was expelled out of the plane. There was a lot going on. I mean, think about it. It's not just the force of these winds coming in, basically the wind, the air getting sucked out of the plane. It's noisy, very, very noisy. Some of the damage inside the plane Included two seats, unoccupied by chance, that sustained such violent force that their frames had torqued. Both seats in row 26 were missing their headrests. One was missing a seat back, and all damage was found along 12 of the plane's seat rows. My goodness. And then there were three babies held in the laps of their caregivers. The NTSB, the FAA, and Alaska Airlines all recommend but don't require young children travel in car seats secured in separate ticketed seats. Now, as you know, the FAA has ordered some Boeing 737 MAX airplanes, the model flown in the Alaska Airlines incident, to be grounded and issued a directive requiring inspections before certain aircraft can fly again. This directive affects 171 planes worldwide. Uh, Just to explain what happened here, you've heard different references to this piece as a door. It's a door, and it's not a door. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Depending on the configuration the, the airlines ask for, this could have been an exit door. In this case, Alaska Airlines did not want that as a door, so they used what was called a plug door, And this was manufactured especially for this plane, and it's what came out. It just blew out. So obviously it was not secured very well. The question is, why? What is this about? And we have another interesting story by Business Insider. The NTSB saying the plane that lost parts of its fuselage had been barred from flying over water. A pressurization warning light went off during three separate flights in the weeks before. Alaska Airlines ordered an extra maintenance check, but it wasn't completed before Friday. You can imagine heads will probably roll over this. So part of its fuselage blown out mid-flight. This plane had been restricted from long flights over water due to its pressurization warning light repeatedly going off. The plane's warning light had gone off on three separate occasions in December and January. However, officials still don't know if this was related to what caused the part of the fuselage to dislodge on Friday. The NTSB saying... The two could have been entirely separate. The illuminating warning light was benign. No issues occurred on the three previous flights. Maintenance staff reported the problem and reset the system. Alaska Airlines ordered an additional maintenance check on the light, but this was not completed in time for the Friday flight. Meanwhile, the airline restricted the 737 Boeing Max from flying long distances over water, including to Hawaii. How nice. This particular flight was heading from Portland, Oregon, to Ontario, California. The plane lost a section of its fuselage just after takeoff, allowing fierce winds at some 16,000 feet to blow into the passenger cabin, and it made an emergency landing. No one was seriously injured, but the incident has spooked airlines and authorities order dozens of 737 Boeing MAX aircraft in the U.S. to stay grounded. Another important thing to understand about these situations the the way these work in terms of losing the the um, you know having a breach like this You have breathable air at 10,000 feet. So the first thing the pilot's going to do is to get down to 10,000 feet. And we'll hear a little bit more about how jarring that was. And that's the point where the oxygen masks are no longer required. And that's also very important for the pilots, too, because as you heard earlier, they were having trouble hearing. It's very difficult with the sound of all of the the wind it's like winds blowing through the plane it's uh i cannot imagine what that must have been like for passengers and crew coming up we will hear about the accounts of what happened as this door hub blew out at 16000 feet as we continue our monday broadcast already have a fear of flying and you heard this story that happened over the weekend you're thinking uh this just further confirms i want to stay on the ground it's kind of funny because um one of the jokes about flying these two people are talking and the guy is trying to share the other you know there's no reason you should be in fear because the Lord will be with you he'll protect you and the other person says you have misunderstood misunderstood scripture have you not read the verse and read the verse correctly it says lo I am with you always that's bad isn't it low not high Fortunately, I don't have that fear. I love to fly. But these stories are pretty harrowing. Harrowing accounts emerging from passengers aboard that Alaska Airlines plane that lost its door plug mid-flight, including a woman who sent what she thought could be her final message to her parents. These are chilling words. Please pray for me. I don't want to die. Oh, my gosh. Emma Vu was asleep in seat 18B aboard flight 1282. When the Boeing 737-9 Max with 171 passengers, six crews suddenly dropped after a chunk of its fuselage blew off at 16,000 feet and left a gaping hole. The masks are down. I'm so scared right now. It's what she wrote to parents in text. Posted in a TikTok video where she's seen wearing an oxygen mask during this ordeal Friday on the flight from Portland, Oregon to Ontario, California. Please pray for me. Please, I don't want to die. Telling CNN was very scary, very surreal. I woke up to the plane just falling. I knew it was not just normal turbulence because the mask came down. That's when the panic definitely started to kick in. You just think it's never going to happen to you then it literally did happen to me Hmm She also said she wanted to thank the passengers near her and a flight attendant for trying to keep her calm I'm so grateful for the two ladies who sat to either side of me they were rubbing my neck giving me comfort I Fell asleep Then we're probably 20 minutes into the air, and I feel the entire plane drop, and the masks drop, and people are screaming in a moment of vulnerability. Vu said the flight attendants were handing out oxygen tanks to passengers who needed them. Mm. I was freaking out because my bag wouldn't inflate, and that's literally what they tell you in the safety thing. Like, don't worry, you're still getting airflow but fight or flight, you're not thinking about it. It was just so scary. The pilot came on and told everyone to put your mask on before you help others. Like literally word for word, what you hear in the safety briefing. It was just so surreal. She told CNN the airline had sent out an apology an apology emailed passengers and promised to reimburse the cost of the ticket while also offering an additional $1,500 payment for any inconvenience. I guarantee you there are going to be lawsuits from this. There will be lawsuits. I especially think of the people who were close to that door. The fear is certainly tangible that they were going to get sucked out of the plane. Can you imagine the parents of the boy who had his shirt sucked off? Vu said in her video adding Alaska Airlines should pay for therapy. See, it started already. All I got was free snacks and a compensated flight with more (laughs) legroom. Gosh. I don't know. I just feel like reimbursed flight with more leg room and free water and snacks is not enough. Meanwhile, another passenger also said she was afraid the plane was going to crash. Uh, Yeah. This passenger, we literally thought we were going to die on the flight with her 12-year-old son, Josiah. Josiah said he saw his phone, and a teddy bear, his grandmother from Cambodia, had given him fly out the hole, which was one row ahead of theirs. <laughs> you imagine that? You got your phone, and there it goes. It's gone. <laughs> Gosh, the boy held his mom's hand but could not speak with her because they had their oxygen masks on as the cabin was swept with freezing air. See, that's the other thing. When you're at 16,000 feet, it is cold. That's the other thing I think about. Can I just give you a little bit of advice? I, I, I'm always giving people advice about traveling. Number one, I, remember I told you before how many people I've seen running through the airport in flip-flops or in bare feet? carrying their flip-flops. Don't wear flip-flops on a plane. It's not smart. If you're going to a warm, sunny place, don't dress for that place. Be prepared for the possibility you're going to be cold. might be cold on the plane, for one. But if you have something happen like this, it is going to be freezing. you imagine these people, some of the things they wear? Of course, some of these people ought to be Uh, docked for horrible fashion sense, but that's another issue. The pilot said, we declared an emergency. We're depressurized. We need to return back. Another passenger, Christopher Hickman, said he heard a woman shout, my son's shirt got ripped off. He told the Wall Street Journal people thought a window had fallen off the aircraft. Is it okay if I hold your hand? A woman seated next to Hickman asked him. He clasped the woman's hand and that of his mother, Teresa. We were all just trying to comfort each other at that point. Evan Granger, a passenger seated in 16F, told NBC News, a loud boom followed by a gust of wind coming in the cabin. I didn't want to look back to see what was happening. My focus in the moment was just to breathe into the oxygen mask and trust the flight crew will do everything they can to keep us safe. Granger adding, there's so many things that had to go right in order for us to have survived. Very grateful the plane landed safely. What a story, huh? And I just remind you again, if you if you want to be reassured just look Sometime time. There, there are places online you can go and see all the planes that are flying all over the world. Uh, and the incidents, they are so few and far between. It's, it's, Aviation is safer now than it's ever been. Even after everything that I've shared with this story, as scary as this is, again, no loss of life, no serious injuries. We've got a lot to be thankful for here. You know, I don't know about you, but I find it sobering to see more and more of the people I'm familiar with, whether it's real people that I encounter in real life or people that I have become familiar with from television or radio, celebrities, musicians, it's sobering to see people pass on how many of you watched the show Starsky and Hutch it's a great show we learned that actor David soul I should say actor and singer 70s heartthrob who co-starred as the blonde half of the crime-fighting duo Starsky and Hutch and topped the music charts with the ballad "Don't Give Up on Us." Has passed away at the age of eighty. Can you believe eighty years old? His wife, Helen Snell, said Friday, "David Soul, beloved husband, father, grandfather, and brother, died after a valiant battle for life in the loving company of family. He shared many extraordinary gifts in the world as actor, singer, storyteller." creative artist, and dear friend. His smile, laughter, and passion for life will be remembered by the many whose lives he has touched. His real name was David Solberg. Sol is a Chicago native. His acting career dated back to the 1960s. He appeared to on stage and screen well into the 20th century, but he was best known for his work in the 70s. Soul portrayed Detective Ken Hutch Hutchinson alongside dark haired Paul Michael Glaser as Detective David Starsky in Starsky and Hutch. That ran on ABC from 1975 to 79 and it grew so popular it spawned a line of children's toys. Also had success as a singer starring... Starting in 1976 with Don't Give Up On Us, following with such hits as Going In With My Eyes Open and Silver Lady. Again, David Soul, passing away at the age of 80. Wow. You know, it, not only when you see these people pass away, you're not only reminded of their age, it certainly reminds you of yours as well. I mean, I... I mean, we think about it, I'm watching these shows as a child. And, hey, I am closer now to 60 than I am 50. So there's that to add to the equation. Well, before we make you very squeamish, I want to give you a heads up. I'm going to have a very squeamish story. And if you're one of those people who uh, you you just get the creepy crawlies uh, very easily, I'm just giving you a heads up. There's such a story coming up. First, look at the day in history. Bernie, how are you doing today, man? I'm all right, Vince. Hope you are. Not bad at all. We have a total of six items here. Beginning in 1800, Hmm. we had the very first soup kitchens open up in London to feed the poor. 1800 was the year. We skip all the way to 1963. Keep in mind that year, this president attended the unveiling of the Mona Lisa in Washington, D.C. Oh, 63. Which president was president in 1963? In fact, I'll give you a hint. Go ahead. He also died in 1963. Is this... Kennedy? No, you I, are correct. Kennedy, all right. It is. All right. It is JFK. 1979, the U.S. urged the Shah to leave Iran. Boy, that was a cluster. Um, it was a situation where, diplomatically, we had Jimmy Carter as president. Mm. And they were trying to urge the Shah to get out. And they thought, that might help us. By having him leave voluntarily uh, he ended up having to come to the hospital for medical treatment in the United States and you know what happened later in that year mm. the Shah is pretty much uh, uh, you know he's while he's away getting medical attention the uh, revolutionaries take over the government and they hold Americans hostage for over 400 days you know how that goes Nineteen ninety-two, this president got sick in Japan and vomited on the prime minister. Was that was very awkward. This Clinton? No. Or this this Bush was Bush. This was President Bush Senior. That yeah, was that Senior. was a very embarrassing moment. And two thousand eleven, House Member Gabby Giffords shot and wounded. Um, Jarrett ah. was the person who was found responsible for that. Six people killed and twelve mm-hmm. wounded in that particular incident. Uh, I hope you're not squeamish. Are you one of those squeamish people? Uh, Not really. Well, it's good to hear that. I heard this story on the radio and I had to look it up because I just thought to myself, who would do something so profoundly crazy? Australian police seize lizards worth $800,000 from alleged smugglers. Police in Australia have dismantled what they believe is a smuggling ring. That was attempting to export native lizards and reptiles worth more than 1.2 million Australian dollars to Hong Kong. These three men and one woman arrested in Sydney as part of the investigation. The operation started in September when nine packages containing 59 live lizards were stopped en route to Hong Kong. This is just creepy. Police were allege in court the criminal group were catching live lizards and native Australian reptiles to export to for profit to Hong Kong. These animals kept in poor conditions, bound in small containers, and they were packaged to be sent. Officers found a total of 257 lizards and three snakes during the investigation, both in packages and in addresses used by the group. The reptiles were taken to various zoos and wildlife parks for examination by a vet, and they will be released back into the wild. These lizards, worth about 5000 Australian dollars each. That's $1.285 million Australian dollars. Isn't that crazy? Smuggling lizards. I think I've heard it all now. <laughs> it's all the time we have, folks. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios.